from digitiki.com. Hello, this is Martin Denny for Crown Seller Bank. Of all the forms of communication that an advertiser can use, the most personal still is radio. You get involved with radio, partly because you have to supply the picture yourself. What you hear comes from the radio, but what you see comes from your imagination. Welcome to the Quiet Village. Welcome back for another visit here at the Quiet Village. I am your host, Digitiki, coming to you direct from Digitiki.com, broadcasting from the heart of the Quiet Village. I have a great show coming for you. Uh, I've got uh, some new tunes, some old tunes. Also, I've got some news about the uh, uh, Universal Archives fire. Uh, also, some interesting info about Martin Denny and the album Exotic Sweet from a listener and close friend of Denny's, a uh, Mr. Carrie B., who wrote in and had some, um, I guess I could use his last name, Carrie Burns. And uh, he's got some great info. Uh, first, before we get started, I want to I wanna get even though there's going to be a lot of talking in this one, no interview, but a lot of talking, I'm going to get right down to some music. So I want to start out with an artist that has come to my attention fairly recently at the last Tiki Caliente, which was in May of 2019. Uh, I talked with a very accomplished artist from San Diego, uh, my old hometown, uh, by the name of Norm Daniels. And if you have not seen his stuff, definitely check it out. He is very cool art style and it's a lot of ocean a lot of tropical and some surfy stuff um very kooky and relaxed style that's that's uh, very southern california He's a wonderful artist and a heck of a nice guy anyway he handed me a cd of a friend of his don nuzo and i hope i said that's so. not nuzo I don't, Don Nuzzo. Anyway, uh, also, uh, he's also from the San Diego area. It was a very nice album. I really enjoyed this record. Um, it's called Tiki Nouveau. So I'm going to just start off with a twofer. Here is Don Nuzzo or Don Nuzzo with um, uh, the title track to his album Tiki Nuevo. Nuevo. Ah. Tiki Nouveau. My gosh, I haven't even had enough Mai Tai yet to be this this lost. Tiki Nouveau, followed by another track of his same album, Yangtze Lotus. And then we're going to have another uh, twofer for Gene Rain. So let's get the music started right here on The Quiet Village.
Okay, I feel like I just made it to paradise right there. That set was really good. Okay, starting off, the title track to Don Nuzo's new album, Tiki Nouveau. He's a brand new artist. Check him out on CD Baby, and I will have a link to his uh, CD Baby page so you can check out all the tracks from his new album. That second track was also from his new album. That was a tune called Yangtze Lotus, so definitely check him out. I'll have a link up there on uh, the webpage. I played two uh, Gene Rains tunes right after that. The first one was Ringo Oiwake, hope I said that right, from the Faraway Lands, the exotic music of Gene Rains CD, and I was proud to be part of that CD. Um, the next track was Adventures in Paradise from the Gene Rains record Far Across the Sea. That one was not on CD. It's not available digitally. So I had one that was available digitally and one that wasn't. That Gene Rains compilation CD, however, I believe might be going out of print. So you might want to pick up your copy ASAP before they become hard to get and pricey. So I played the Gene Rains for a specific reason, because now it's uh, it's news time here. Um, for those of you who listen, uh, who've listened to the show for a long time, remember when the Gene Rains CD dropped? Uh, I talked a little bit about the unavailability of the Gene Rains Master, and well, I want to talk a little further about that. When the rights were secured uh, for the Gene Rains uh, music. That was actually from Universal Music. Universal is one of the biggest holders of music. They also own all of Decca Records' a catalog. So um, Universal is huge. They have a lot of other labels other than just MCA and, and Universal. Uh, Gene Rains, of course, was on Decca, so they had Gene Rains material. They were the ones that had to... To get it. When the rights were secured from Real Gone Music to do the Gene Rains CD, they were notified then that the Gene Rains Masters did not exist. And that was pretty much all that they knew. It just that the Rains Masters didn't exist. And um, one of the reasons I had found out recently, I had come to suspect it was due to a lot of masters being lost in a fire, and I believe I was right. And the reason I'm talking about this is because New York Magazine just released an article not long ago about the 2008 Universal Studios um, archive fire, and a lot of stuff was lost. Not just Gene Rains, a lot of stuff was lost. Uh, this fire happened Sunday, June 1st, 2008, and it started at 4.43 a.m. Uh, on the back lot of Universal Studios. The archives were housed uh, there in the back lot of Universal Studios near the uh, King Kong Experience, uh, I believe that was what it was called, Um what happened was, according to this article, that there were some workers that were roofing uh, one of the buildings nearby, and they were using uh, blowtorches because they were putting asphalt shingles on the building, and uh, of course, blowtorches, that's hot. They finished at 3 a.m., 
And uh, someone stayed around for an hour to make sure that the shingles were cool enough to not to pose a hazard. So they left at exactly one hour, at 4 a.m. So at 4.40, uh, after the watch was over, uh, a hot spot flared up on the roof. And the fire spread everywhere. It burnt uh, New York Cityscape, which is the area in Universal Studios that looks like New York City. Uh, it also burnt a place called Courthouse Square, which is where Back to the Future was shot. So I believe it's that that whole city center with the courthouse for Back to the Future. Um, and it reached a 22,000-square-foot archive building, and it burned it to the ground, apparently. And a lot was lost. In there, I suspect, and I'm pretty certain, that the Gene Rains Masters were in there and they went up in flames. I'm sorry to say there was also a lot of other records, um, uh, dot records, which, um, there, there was a lot of stuff on dot records that was lost. Much of the Decca masters was lost. I'm just going to read you a little piece from that New York, uh, magazine article. Uh, it said, um, one paragraph. I love how they say this. There, then there were masters for largely forgotten artists that were stored in the vault. <laughs> I love that. Largely forgotten. I guess that means... Anyway, uh, I won't comment on that. It says, Tens of thousands of gospel, blues, jazz, country, soul, disco, pop, easy listening, classical, comedy, and spoken word records that... that uh, that may now exist only as written entries in discographies. Well, I would say no. They, they exist as the LPs that people might still have in their collection. Uh, it, it goes on to say that uh, today Universal Music is a Goliath, by far the world's largest record company with huge revenues um, bolstered basically because of streaming. Um, uh, it, it, it this is an interesting thing. It uh, it, it said um, uh, last year Vivendi, which is I believe the parent company for Universal, Vivendi announced a plan to sell up to fifty percent of the Universal Music catalog. The sale uh, was the talk of the business. Rumored potential buyers included Apple, Amazon, a Chinese conglomerate named Alibaba. Um, it, you know, it goes on to talk about, you know, them selling off half of Universal Music. Now, I don't know if that means they were literally going to slice it in half and sell it as one big chunk. But boy, I wish I had the money to go in there and bid on the Gene Rains catalog rights, even if it doesn't exist as master tapes to um, have the rights to those. That would be nice. Anyway, I just wanted to give you a little bit of that. Um, but, you know, not only the masters were lost, but historic photographs, movie film negatives to classic films. Um, also, virtually all of Buddy Holly's masters were lost in the fire as well. It, it's, it's, in, it's insane and uh, it's horrible. So I invite you to read this this article. I'll have a link to that on the podcast page of digitiki.com that you can check out. Very sad story. Very sad indeed. Uh, you know, Gene Rains was on DECA 
Universal owned DECA, a lot of stuff was lost in there. And I, I, I had heard rumors about this fire where a lot of stuff was lost. And, and this is it. This is the one. Uh, so there's a, there's quite a detailed uh, telling about this on uh, this New York Magazine article. So I highly, highly recommend it. Um, and it's, you know, it's sad that this stuff is lost. But when that article says it's it's all nothing's left but lit, written entries in discographies that's not true i mean obviously we've got them here there's a lot of us collectors out here who have these lps and that was one of the reasons why when the gene rain cd was released for uh, real gone music they actually used my lp transfers which were some of the cleanest that i've heard um not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but just uh, I had really uh, tried to make the cleanest transfers possible, and sometimes that's all that is left. Okay, well, there you go. There's a Debbie Downer. Let's move on. <laughs> let's get back to some vintage music that we do have copies of. Thank goodness. Uh, let's get something. Let's get some Hapa Howley going here to get us happy again. All right, right here. Keeping on something rare but not lost, Ernie Menahuni with Pearly Shells, right here on The Quiet Village. Pearly Shells, from the ocean, shining in the sun, covering the shores, when I see them, my heart tells me I love you more than all those little pearly shells.
Love the bird calls in that one. Uh, right off the top of that set was uh, a, a wonderful entertainer who just n- didn't get the recognition that he deserved. Ernie Menahuni with a classic song, Pearly Shells. And those of you who might not be familiar, I got to, uh, um, I got a, an interview with Ernie Menahuni, which is on an earlier episode. Um, sadly, he passed away. And there's another episode about that as well with some more tunes by him. Uh, definitely check them out. The second song in that set was Kowloon to London Express by Warren Barker and his orchestra from the classic album, A Musical Touch of Faraway Places. And that one had William Holden on the cover. And I'm not sure William Holden had much to do with that record, although he did pin a small blurb on the back. And uh, his face might have been just to sell... Records, which kind of leads us to the last song, The Enchanted Reef by Martin Denny and Cy Zentner from their collaborative album, Exotic Suite. And those two have something in common, and I'm about to talk about that. Um, So we don't have an interview on this one, but uh, I'm kind of standing in for the interview. Um the uh the Warren Barker and William Holden album is is related to the Martin Denny and Cy Zentner album in the fact that some people didn't have something to do with that record even though their name was on it. And that's where I'm going. But I'm going to start by talking about a listener who I had emailed back and forth a few times and he contacted me recently, Carrie Burns and um Hot Carrie, I know you're listening because I know you're a regular listener. And he sent me, um, he sent me kind of basically his memoirs. I guess you would say he is now retired. He's a he's a world traveler, and I mean that in the literal sense. It sounds like such a cliche. He's a world traveler. He worked for the U.S. Agricultural Department for forty years. He lived in thirty-seven countries. Um, he got to meet an incredible array of people, including 
a lot of Exotica icons, including uh, Arthur Lyman. He had lunch with Les Baxter in Los Angeles. And what is fascinating is he met and became very close friends with Martin Denny. And uh, this is where I'm basically going to do the interview for uh, for Carrie Burns and um, by proxy because uh, I asked him to come on the show. He didn't he didn't really want to come on the show. And I fully understand um, so he but he did graciously allow me to use his memoirs and uh, and talk about them. So basically, I'm going to do the interview by proxy. So this is the interview section. Uh, so I'm going to start by telling you an interesting piece of information that I didn't know. I'm sure there's some of you that might have known, but I did not know this until I read um, this piece by uh, by Carrie Burns about Martin Denny. And that thing was that Martin Denny is not his real name. <laughs> Believe it or not, Martin Denny is actually Martin Wisner, born in New York City. And uh, I did not know that. I thought his name was Martin Denny, and it's Martin Wisner. And uh, it, it, it seems like one of his first big breaks or big gigs was in 1931, he joined the Don Dean Orchestra, and the Don Dean Orchestra, from what I can figure out, was kind of more like a foxtrotty kind of, uh, almost sounds like Roaring Twenties, but it was it would be the early Thirties, so that would be around the Depression era. So he joined the Don Dean Orchestra, and at twenty years old, went off to uh, Columbia to do a, a performance in the Granda Hotel in Bogota with the Don Dean Orchestra. And it turns out that uh, the whole orchestra was made up of a lot of young people, 22 and 18, um, and a lot of young guys. So I guess they were a little more mobile. They could get out, move around. They didn't have a huge family um I guess, you know, ball and chain, weighing them down, that sort of thing. Don't send me hate mail for that. Okay. I'm just kidding here. So, um, so they, they freelanced a lot in South America and, uh, Martin Denny was the piano player. And, uh, also they performed in Buenos Aires, uh, quite a bit in 1932, which leads me to this tune. I'm going to play you a little bit of the Don Dean Orchestra. And I only found one song. I couldn't even find a Don Dean Orchestra, uh, LP or 78 that someone had transferred onto YouTube. So it's kind of rare so here and i don't know if martin denny is actually playing piano on this i can't really find a date for when this this recording was released i didn't do a lot of digging so please forgive me but here is the don dean orchestra and they're really famous in south america doing a tune a foxtrot tune called yo and this may or may not have martin denny playing piano here you go Her family, they held a convention. Not for him, not for her, not for them, not for you, oh, but to mercy. me. Oh, mercy. Oh, I'm glad it's yes, sir. And I have to laugh. Oh, oh, oh. I know my dresser. I've got a photograph. Which proves that she gives all her attention. Not to him, not to her, not to them, not to you, but to me. But to me. Oh, me. She gives her attention. 
All right. Sounds like we're on a little rascals there. That was the Don Dean Orchestra, and it might have had Martin Denny. I do not know. From from reading Carrie Burns' um, memoirs, I didn't really find anything that talked about specific recordings. Um, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure if that was the case or not. But uh, they did perform in Buenos Aires, and this was on a compilation called um, Buenos Aires Jazz or something like that, I believe. So it's it's fascinating. I mean, this is stuff I didn't know. I hope this is stuff that you didn't know as well. Uh, but Martin Denny wound up, ultimately, he wound up in Hawaii. I mean, I don't want to go and read every little detail about this, but eventually Martin Denny wound up in Hawaii, put his little group together, and um, he was performing at the Shell Bar, in uh in Waikiki which is part of the the Hilton I believe the Hilton Hawaiian Village yes right behind where they were performing was a pond it was like um uh, there's a photo of it here also in his memoirs. And I also want to remind you, I'm going to give you a link to a PDF of these of this section of Carrie Burns' memoirs. He did give me permission to do that. So you can check it out and you can read it. It's, it's really fascinating. He actually goes into some detail about Exotica itself. But there's a picture of the pond outside of the shell bar. And the band would have been, the walls opened up. Um, to make it a big open air kind of a thing. And the band would have been right in front of this pond, which had like a little hedge and there were frogs behind there. And, and the story goes, if, if you haven't heard it was that, um, when the Martin Denny orchestra would play, these frogs would start croaking and people actually thought the sounds were part of the band. So, uh, they did eventually they did quiet village, which was a, a less Baxter tune. They would perform quiet village and the frogs would start croaking and people started requesting the songs with the frogs, which is fascinating. And I believe that that is the start of where Martin Denny got the idea for the bird calls. It turns out that Augie Cologne, which was the percussionist for Martin Denny was really good at doing bird calls. So he started incorporating those in became extremely popular. And I want to point something out that when, when you hear the recording of quiet village, by Martin Denny, it starts with a percussion instrument that mimics the sound of frogs at the very beginning. And that is why. So there's a little tidbit of information right there for you. Uh, so, uh, Martin Denny, um, lots of really interesting stuff. But I want to talk about a couple of things, too. He, he, one, of the, one of the things I found out, which I, I thought was quite interesting, was that when Martin Denny recorded Exotica, Quiet Village became a huge hit. They did some touring, and they wound up in, um, it looks like they were at the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas. It's. It says, uh, it, I'm just going to read this for you. This is Martin Denny talking. We played behind the bar on a slowly revolving stage, and by the time we'd made a complete cycle, the audience uh, would be all new faces. And what was funny was the gambling bosses sending us messages to, quote, knock off the bird calls, unquote. 
as they were distracting the gamblers. Can you <laughs> can you imagine that? I mean, that's your signature sound. And these guys are, you, oh, you got to uh, knock off those bud calls. They're distracting the gamblers. You know, <laughs> what do you do? I mean, uh, that's kind of crazy. Another interesting story, and I'm going to link this to the Talking Jazz episode, was this giant um, circular revolving stage is my father-in-law. I recorded him because he's a big jazz aficionado and saw a lot of artists. And uh, he tells the story of actually, it might have been the Flamingo Hotel. It, I think so. This sounds like it because he said he saw um, Count Basie at one of the hotels and it was a revolving stage and they would do a whole set and the stage would revolve and another band would play another set and then it would turn around again and it was uh count basie and he was in the, the front table count basie pointed at him and says you're still here <laughs> which is fascinating i mean i'd love to have count basie talk to me anyway i thought that was really fascinating they need to the to knock off the bird calls so <laughs> So I'm going to get down to actually one of the big things that I wanted to talk about in this uh, uh, with Martin Denny was the fact that there was a lot of pressure on Denny uh, with the success of Quiet Village and the, the album Exotica to continue to record and put out stuff. And, and one of the fascinating things that, that, that Carrie writes in here, uh, he says, quote, Despite the tremendous success Denny had with Quiet Village, his Exotica albums and sold-out tour dates, Liberty Records began in the early 60s to pressure Denny to move away from his Exotica sound to record what Denny's daughter Christina refers to as a more popular sound, which... You can understand later on Denny actually did that, um, and and Carrie cites A Taste of Honey, 1962, and the 1963 album Another Taste of Honey, which apparently is sometimes referred to as Denny's honey sound. Uh, I'm, I'm reading on here, over, the t- over time, Denny's albums moved away from his exotica sounds as Liberty Records sought for album sales to keep up with the popular musical trends of the day. For example, the craze over the bossa nova sound, which Denny incorporated into his arrangement of Quiet Village, as heard on the versatile Martin Denny 1963 album retitled um, the tune uh, as Quiet Village Bossa Nova. So it's it's fascinating to me that Denny blows the doors off of the music industry and creates a genre, uh, essentially. And I know you're going to say that it was created earlier with Les Baxter and even earlier than that with Corla Pandit and I agree, but it wasn't called Exotica. It was uh, Martin Denny really did create the term Exotica. It was created for that album, and it, that's what people started referring to it by. So I, I am going to say that the genre was created with Martin Denny. It may not have been musically created with Martin Denny, but the categorization, the genre, people looking to it as that genre, I've got to say was created with Martin Denny. It's fascinating that here is a guy who has a hit with Exotica, a new, the new sound, basically. It was a new sound because it was a combo, not a big orchestra doing it, as with Baxter. So it was a new sound, and these guys were telling him, change it, 
you're making us a ton of money, change your sound. I thought, I, I think that's just absolutely fascinating. So the other thing was the fact that Denny was also out on the road a lot promoting. uh, He he was doing sold-out concerts. And at the same time, Liberty Records had him under contract to produce a lot of stuff. So he had to keep churning out albums. And as he did so, it became harder and harder to keep up performing and doing new albums. And, and we're talking about not long after uh, Exotica was released, which was in 1959. So we're talking in still in the early 60s, just a couple of years later, like 61, uh, starting to get around 62. And that is when we see the album Exotica Suite, which is a um, almost like a tribute to Les Baxter, where he teams up with uh, horn player Cy Zentner. that is a track called Tiki, and that is from the Exotica Suite by Martin Denny, released in 1962. And here is one of the fascinating things that I found out from a reading about Martin Denny that Martin Denny told Carrie himself, and that was that Martin Denny had nothing to do with Exotica Suite. Record scratch. That's right. Martin Denny had nothing to do with Exotica Suite. And and as it turns out, Martin Denny had very little or nothing to do with quite a few of his records (laughs) or records that were put under his name. So now I'm going to read a little piece from Carrie's memoirs here. It says, quote, during this period, we're talking about about 1962 when Denny's heavily performing live, um, Liberty Records released an LP entitled Exotica Suite um, with a jacket cover referencing not only the exotic sounds of Martin Denny, but also two other musical giants, Les Baxter and Cy Zentner. The album cover credits the songs as composed by Les Baxter and recorded by Cy Zentner and his orchestras as arranged by Bob Florence and recorded by Cy Zentner Orchestra. The recordings had more of a big band feel than the exotica sound given uh, to the album jacket prominently referred to as the exotic sounds of Martin Denny. And it is true. If you listen to that, it's it's, it's big horny. (laughs) It's big horn stuff. Let me rephrase that. Again, don't write in. Uh, it was big, uh, big horns and stuff. So it turns out that there were two, uh, there were two session guys and and producers, and it, it's Dave Pell and Bob Florence. Uh, 
they became adept at doing the Denny sound, so to speak. So if you can just imagine this, Denny is out on uh, on tour 1962 the exotica suite came out so this is only three years since uh the first album exotica was released and was very popular so it's actually probably just under three years the, uh and already he's being ghosted martin denny is out performing gigs uh worldwide so he's very busy and it's very difficult to live up to the contract but the 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 um the label wants to keep putting stuff out so they basically got two guys to ghost this album with Cy Zentner and um, the story is from Carrie is that uh, basically Martin Denny was sent a tape of the album and saying basically here it is we're going to slap your name on it you're still going to get the royalties but you're not going to do this album imagine that I mean he's out doing gigs and here's the studio it's kind of a a love-hate thing, I would imagine. You kind of love the fact that they want to slap your name on something and they think it's good and they're, you're going to get the royalties, but you didn't do it. I mean, that's it's kind of a Milli Vanilli thing that, that you remember those guys were brought down for lip-syncing someone else's music. It's, it's, it's crazy. But nonetheless, that, that's, that's what happened. So Exotica Suite was not a Martin Denny record. In fact, it turns out that there are several Martin Denny albums that most likely were ghosted. And I'm, I'm going to read, again, I'm going to read pieces from this uh, this memoir in which uh, Carrie Burns talks with Martin Denny. Martin Denny actually tells him a lot of this stuff. So it's not stuff he dug up uh, really from other sources. It comes directly from Martin Denny. So um, it turns out that a, 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 a lot of Denny albums were ghosted. Um, and Denny says, quote, they said, meaning the, the label, you got to do it. So I had to go along with it. Uh, the memoir goes on. Martin Denny's first 13 albums on Liberty have his signature exotica sound and feature Sandy Warner covers. Um, Ten of these albums, except... Aphrodisia, Quiet Village, and Exotic Sounds visit Broadway, uh, listing the musicians as also the 14th album Martin Denny in person. This later album, however, does not have a Sandy Warner cover, rather the photos at the location, because it was recorded live in uh, Duke Kahanamoku's. Um, then Denny's next 10 albums from A Taste of Honey to 20 Golden Hawaiian Hits do not list the musicians. Further stated, with the 19th album Latin Village, the liner notes begin listing a producer and one or more arrangers with Latin Village through 20 Golden Hits, listing Dave Pell. And here's another little, little side note. I'm just going to add this. Latin Village, um, um, uh, one of the tunes on Latin Village was actually written by Robert Drasnan. Okay, so there you go. Uh, and uh, Bob Florence is listed as the producer uh, who is also a jazz pianist and an arranger. Pell and Florence are rumored to have become so familiar with Martin Denny's style that they ghosted several of Denny's records while the performer was out on tour. And uh, that's pretty fascinating stuff. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, 
This pattern continued into 1966 with Denny's next two albums called Martin Denny, exclamation point, and Hawaii Goes a Go-Go. Love that title. Uh, Those were produced by Joe Saracino and arranged by Bob Florence. While Denny's next-to-last 1966 album, which is called Exotica Today, was produced by Pell and arranged by Julius Wechter, who also played with Denny earlier on. He replaced... Uh, Arthur Lyman after the first tune, exo- uh, first album, Exotica. Um, the album liner notes show a photo of the performers um, and follows Frank Kim on percussion, Martin Denny on piano, Henry Allen on guitar, uh, Benito Bautista on vibes, flute, and trumpet, and Ted Blake on bass. While not pictured, the liner notes list the following artists as also being heard on the album. Bernie Fleischer on flute, Bud Coleman on guitar, Frank DeVito on percussion, and Frank DiCarlo on guitar. Again, going on, I'm reading the uh, memoir. Therefore, starting in 1967, the liner notes of Denny's remaining six albums on Liberty from Golden Greats through Exotic Moog do not list the performers, but do but do list various combinations of producers and arrangers. While Augie Cologne toured with Denny from 1957 through at least 61, the last album on which he is listed as a performer, being on bongos, was Exotic Percussion from 1961. Good album, by the way. Uh, Beginning with that same album, Frank Kim is listed as the percussionist, as well as on three later albums, Romantica from 1961, Martin Denny in person from 62, and Exotica today in 66. So in short, between 62's A Taste of Honey and 69's Exotic Mood, which, Exotic Moog, sorry, uh, which was Denny's last studio album, none of Denny's last 17 albums except Exotica Today in 1966 list who were the actual musicians performing on the record, leaving it up in the air as to which albums performed by Denny and his group versus being ghosted by other musicians. This stuff is really fascinating. It also goes on to say, quote, Denny did volunteer that Spanish Village was no... uh, Spanish Village was indeed ghosted, noting, and this is Denny's quote, I personally never would have approved of a thing like that. They used saxophones and the like. Some of the albums were done very well. They were formulated with the idea that this was Martin Denny, and I'm not really happy about that part of my career. Unquote. So this is some really really fascinating stuff. Although the the interesting thing is Denny still got the royalties from this these albums as though he did them. So it's really fascinating. So some of these later albums we were just may not quite sure if Denny uh, played on them or not. Um it does say in here somewhere and I'm not reading it directly. I I'm I'm kind of skipping around. 
it does say that in some of these records that Denny was just sent the tape of the finished album and and he was asked to just provide exotic names for the songs which is fascinating i mean it, it's just fascinating to hear uh to hear things like that but on the side note, I do know having collected exotica and Hawaiian hapa haole uh, kind of music, um, luau kind of music, I do know that there is a huge number of Hawaiian records that are very authentic sounding Hawaiian records that were recorded in Los Angeles with studio musicians, uh, with country um, country legends on steel guitar, many of whom were not credited uh, at at the time in the 50s and and into the early 60s when the, when exotica and hawaiian music is really popular you actually start seeing records that print on the album cover recorded in hawaii so that kind of is a hint that a lot of this stuff was not being produced in hawaii or with hawaiian musicians even though it was hawaiian music which is really fascinating although it was marketed a lot that way or at least to kind of lead the, the the record buying audience to believe that it was recorded that way and so i think that was kind of a little bit of a pushback to see recorded in hawaii which it, which i find really really fascinating so actually let's go ahead and close out the show with one of the tunes that i now suspect really was ghosted by martin denny it certainly fits that it's from 1967 but before we run into that song i do want to say that my mai tai is empty there's nothing but water and a little bit of ice and that means we've come to the end of another show i hope you enjoyed this i hope you found it fascinating I know I, I meet people who listen to the podcast and they tell me they like all the little tidbits from the site. So I hope I didn't talk too much. I hope it was something you wanted to learn. I, I found it fascinating personally. So uh, if you can go to the Quiet Village at any time by going to digitiki.com where you can get a complete list of the tracks on this and past shows. You can also get links to the stuff talked about here on this show. And uh, you can also listen streaming live 24-7 Quiet Village Radio. You can also find it on TuneIn Radio as well. So now I'm going to leave you 1967 album, which certainly fits, Exotica Classica. This is a track called Born Free. It's a theme to the movie, Born Free. And it features quiet village kind of melded in there so it kind of makes me think that they were having a little fun mimicking martin denny for a martin denny record uh so here is one i really suspect may not be martin denny this is born free from martin denny's album exotica classica from 1967 I want to give a big shout out to Carrie Burns for uh, for letting me use his stuff. So, until next time, everyone, aloha.